First John chapter three. We're going to look at verses 16 through 24. We're finishing the chapter this morning. Woohoo! Um, how many of you guys, let's just see if you're paying attention. Remember what the title of the message was this last Sunday and this last Thursday. Okay, a few of you. It's birthmarks. We've been talking about birthmarks. Uh, verse 10, if you look at it, First John chapter 3, verse 10, talks about how uh, the children of God and the children of the devil both have, well, birthmarks. That's what we'll call it. So I, I did a, a little research for you. I found a few birthmarks online. You guys want to see some? No? All right. Well, I don't know what to do now. Um, all right, here we go. First one. You see it? It's an apple. So, so if you're a Windows user, you think he's the Antichrist. But how crazy is that? That's cool. All right. Uh, this next one. Okay, that's not really a birthmark, but it's pretty funny. Pretty funny. And then this last one, you may have seen um, <laughs> Bummer of a Birthmark, Hal. I love that one. All right, thank you. We've been talking about birthmarks. Birthmark, you're not going to find as a target, hopefully, on your chest. Um, but verse 10 tells us how to uh, notice if we are children of God or children of the devil. And uh, just so you know, John was writing this um, to combat the, uh, the heresy of the Gnostics. And I think that was one of the reasons that he wrote this in verse 10, because the Gnostics were telling these guys, oh, you know what? It doesn't matter how you behave in your life. And, it, you know. Yeah, you don't really have to love people, uh, love the brothers. And verse 10, he makes it very clear. Look, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Two birthmarks. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So last Sunday, we talked about practicing righteousness. Again, that doesn't mean that you're going to be living a perfectly righteous life. But if you're a child of God, you're practicing right just because and we've, we've talked about it a few times simply because you want to be like your father like your abba father your daddy you're going to be practicing more and more as best you can righteousness well thursday we saw birthmarks part two he says the other birthmark you're going to have if you're a child of god is that you love your brother now when you say love the brethren that's pretty easy, at least in my mind, right? To kind of generally, hey, yeah, I really love you guys. When you say love your brother, singular, some of you, <laughs> no, it, 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 it gets a little more difficult, doesn't it? When you start thinking about individuals, he says, look, you're going to have the, the birthmark you're going to have is that you're going to love your brother. And I think that includes the most annoying the most infuriating, the most time-consuming, the most patient-consuming. The guy who seems not only to just step on your toes occasionally, he seems to be dancing there all the time. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not like Cain because we saw Cain and Abel um, on these last few verses because John's making the point, look, you don't want to have you don't want to have this birthmark here like Cain who murdered his brother. Maybe you're thinking, look, I would never murder, but if I ever change my mind, I've got my list. Well, John says, look, Cain hated Abel and killed him. And we saw that 
hatred really is just murder in its embryonic form, right? All sin begins in an embryonic stage and eventually it gives, leads forth into death, James tells us. So basically, if you actually hate a brother or sister in Christ, John is giving you a solemn warning here in verse 10. He's like, uh, you know what? That's not a birthmark of the Spirit. Verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So, for some of you, this message just became very serious very quickly. How am I supposed to, you're thinking, love that brother? Okay, stop. If you haven't already, think of the most annoying, infuriating brother you can think of. Okay, you're all looking at me. Think of someone else. (laughs) Think of that person. You're thinking, okay, how am I supposed to love them when I kind of don't even like them? How do you love the unlovely? How are you supposed to really, truly show grace to the ungrateful or encourage the incorrigible? Well, I hope you're going to find this morning there's some real practical help for you, for me. We're going to see, I think, how to love and more amazingly to me is how we benefit when we really, truly love like Jesus loves us. If you're, if you're taking an outline, verse 16 through 18, you could write an A that is the first, uh, the first letter of the first word, which is love is an action. Love is an activity. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's an action, activity. Verses 19 through 20, we're going to see that that kind of active love brings assurance and then verses 21 through 22 we're going to see that that assurance that gets that you get when you show active love can lead you right back into the abundant life that maybe you slipped away from and then 20, verse 23 and 24 we're going to see kind of a recap maybe look the abundant life is really the abiding life so you have all those a's the agape love is active it brings assurance It leads to the abundant life, which is the abiding life. So down the side of your page, it's to say, ah, okay. You guys are excited. I can tell. Agape love. Let me put it in sentence form before we begin. Agape love is an activity that brings assurance that leads us back to the abundant life of abiding in Christ. Okay. Look at verse 16 through 18 and. Notice that it's basically saying from the get-go, look, love is an action. It's an activity. John says, look, if you want to know what real agape love, because we talk about love all the time, right? Love is a many-splendored thing, right? All of the love songs that we sing, John says, look, if you want to see what real agape love, God's kind of love looks like, so that you can compare your birthmark to the real thing, he says, verse 16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How many of you, like, take notes in your Bible? A few of you, maybe. If you do, you're welcome to highlight this verse, but please don't scratch out the last part. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, right? It's not one that you normally would put up on your refrigerator, maybe. But this this is an awesome verse when we look at it. Because what it's saying is, look, agape love 
the kind that you're commanded to do, the kind that you're required to, the kind that's a birthmark of the children of God is not, listen, an emotion. It's a decision. Do you realize then what that means? Think, think back again of that person that's really irritating, annoying, all that stuff. You're still looking at me. Think of that person. What this means is you can show agape love before you ever like them. Does that make sense? Because at its core, love is right here an action. Let me make it more clear to you. John 3.16. You guys familiar with that verse? Maybe a little bit. For God so loved the world that he got all emotional and really warm and fuzzy about you guys. No. For God so loved the world, he gave the most precious thing in all of the universe for you. See, love is an action. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. And it's interesting that, that John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 are so parallel. Notice that our verse does not say, by this we know love, because he told us in flowery language how emotional he is toward us. No, by this we know love, that he gave his life, he laid down his life for us. Literally, when it says laid, laid down his life, it is literally laid aside his life. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Philippians chapter two says that he in heaven, being God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He is God. But he laid aside all of the rights, the privileges, all of the perks of Godhood. And I would assume there are some. He laid those aside to walk this earth with skin on to become vulnerable. Literally, he laid aside so much. He endured the cross, right? The shame, the spitting, the broken fellowship with his father that he'd never experienced in all of eternity before. For those three hours on the cross, right? He did all that for you to show you, among other things, that love is an action. Love is giving something up. Love is laying something down. And more amazingly than that, Romans chapter 5 tells us that love is doing that for someone who doesn't deserve it. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Verse uh, 7 is kind of from the human perspective, it seems to me. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly, those who didn't deserve it. So love is an action that Jesus modeled. And again, I think if you grasp this, this can be freeing. Because maybe you're, you're caught up and you're like, I can't even like that person. Well, why don't you start by loving that person in action? Verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You don't have to have those fuzzy feelings for them. You just, it's pretty simple, just got to lay down your life for them. Lay aside your rights. You only have to treat them the way that Christ treated you while you were still a sinner. You only have to lay down your life 
That is one selfless decision at a time. And I know we've mentioned this before, but when, it, when you see late on your life, you're like, oh, so I got to I got to die for my brother. Well, you may be given that opportunity, but if you do, that's just one and done. Right. But this is talking about a continual action. Right. It's talking about a continual action that is laying down your rights. Again, the, the right to be right. The uh, the last word. All of the things that that we cling to and say, this is my right. You know who I am? What if Jesus had said that? Do you know who I am? See, it's laying it down, laying down your, your rights, what you are owed, laying down that pound of flesh, that last word. Emotion is not required, apparently, but action is. And, and just a real quick note to all of you uh, married couples. This works in marriages, too. Laying down your rights. We here, I'm sure, if you have any friends in in the world, and I hope you do. <laughs> you can take that a few ways. That's interesting. Um, if you have any unbelieving friends, I know you've heard this phrase. And what I hate is the fact that sometimes you also hear it out of Christian's mouths too. Husband saying, you know what? I just don't love her anymore. Do you realize if that love Agape love is an action that you just indicted yourself. You're commanded to love both husband and wife. We're all commanded to love and the husbands are particularly commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So when we say I don't love her anymore, what we're saying is I am not actively loving her. I'm slacking. See, love is an action, and it's really clear in verse 17 and 18 that love is an action. Now, let's change gears a little bit. Maybe so far you've breezed through this message. You know, it seems like lately you come to the, come to the church and uh, it's like, okay, we're going to get beat up again today because John is, is hard hitting here. Maybe so far you're like, okay, that's cool because I, I honestly can't think of one single person that I'm upset with or angry with or... Uh, anything like that. Maybe you actually have sort of the warm and fuzzies about nearly everybody. Maybe everybody. Maybe you cannot think of one single person that you aren't, you know, good with, if you will. Maybe you're not Cain, because that was what John was saying about this, this murderous intent in your heart. Maybe you're not Cain, that is, with a murderous heart. But listen, maybe you're able, that is, able to help someone, but you don't. Look at verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, in case you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm glad you're saying that because I know a lot of people who need to give a lot of a lot of their stuff. I don't happen to have much, but those other people need to. Look at verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods. Just so you know, pretty much includes everybody in this room. The world, the word goods there is bios, and it means just simply that by which life is sustained. That is, you have enough to to be alive today. So he's talking about those who have food, shelter and clothing. That's it. Those who have the essentials, the food, shelter, clothing. So if you had a roof over your head last night, for instance, 
and you have food in your stomach this morning and you have clothes on your back. Yes, good, good. Don't have to call the ushers. If that's you, then we're all included here in verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? See, we've seen that love is an action, right? Modeled by Jesus. But also here, agape love is that which is moved with compassion. Agape love, real love, will be moved with compassion. A convicting question, maybe. Are you? Are you moved with compassion? Verse 17 Where it says, and he shuts up his heart is literally to close the doors on a on a family member. That's what's interesting, because it says um, sees his brother in need. Remember, we're in the family of God, right? So if you see your brother in need and you close the doors, I keep getting a picture where there's one brother is hungry and naked and he has no place to stay. And he comes to his brother's door and his brother's mansion, the big double doors open and behind him his pauper brother can can see uh you know a shelf full of food and a closet full of clothes and a floor even that would be dry to sleep on but the rich brother says good luck with your problem i'll be praying for you and closes the big doors james says look don't don't say hey let all be well with you go in, in peace and, and not do anything if you can do something that is Not murder like Cain, right? It's not even active hatred, but it's neglect of a a member of the family of God. And it is not the birthmark that would be in the family of God. See, if you are able, verse 17 is very clear, if you're able to help a brother or sister in need and you don't, well, then John just called you out today. Because he says, how does the love of God abide in him? See, this is a quick reality check. If the love of God is inside you, this says it will come out. Think about that for a second. We say we have the Lord inside us, right? We are the temple of the living God. If we have the love of God inside us, how puny would it be if we could keep it in? Think about it. The same love of God that gave up so much for those who didn't deserve it, which is us. If that's inside of you, I don't think you can just shut it up. Shut the doors of it, right? If you can successfully shut up your heart to a brother in real need, that is, who has no food, no clothing, no shelter today, then I'm not sure. I think John is saying I'm not sure that what's in there, whatever it is, is really the love, the agape love of God. Let me give you an illustration. I think this makes it makes the point. I heard a story of a little boy who came home from Sunday school and he was really excited, but a little confused. And maybe a little nervous. He said, Mama, I heard the Sunday school teacher and I want to give, I want to let Jesus come into my heart. She's like, that's awesome. That's great. Let's, let's pray right now. He said, well, wait a second. I, I'm confused. I mean, Jesus is, he's an adult. He's so big. And I'm just a little boy. If I let him in my heart, won't he stick out? <laughs> yes, he will. You see the point? If we let him in our heart, he will stick out. He's that big. You can't contain that kind of love by shutting up your affection, your uh, good deeds toward your brother who's in need. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, 
but in deed and in truth. See, agape love then is an action that is modeled by Jesus. It's moved with compassion. But verse 18 says, look, agape love is just more than mere words. Read it again. My little children, let us not, you could put in the word just love in word or in tongue, because he's not saying, hey, don't tell people you love them. No, he's saying, let us not just merely love people in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, let's back up, because I think this will give us a little perspective. <clears throat> Some of you, as we as we've just exposited, if that's a word, verse 17 Maybe our confusion are like, well, wait a second. Does that mean that I'm supposed to blindly give everything I have to every drug addict, for instance, who asks for it? No, there are some very common sense things that are also uh, in the word that you can uh, that you should be aware of. Right. For one, it doesn't say that you're supposed to go into debt yourself to uh, help a, a brother in need. Right. It doesn't say that you're supposed to take food off of your family's table to put that brother's family, right? There's the, there's the concept, and it's true, unfortunately, that there are limited resources, but it seems like unlimited need. And there's also the fact that that person's lifestyle, who, whoever it is that you might be thinking of, also would need to come into play. Let me put it this way. I don't believe... And I don't think the Lord would have us believe that you are commanded to eat ramen noodles to pay for my electricity so that I can have a big screen TV. Make sense? If you think differently, you're welcome to. That's cool, but no. Right? We know that there is a certain kind of giving that is not loving. Right? It's enabling. And I think the, the, the word that will help you there in verse 18, it says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Meaning, here's a great question to ask yourself. Look, if I do this, will this be loving them in truth, like in reality, or will this be prolonging their problem or making their situation worse? Right. So, of course, this is saying, yes, do due diligence. Right. Make sure that you are being wise, that you are not enabling people. All of those common sense things apply, but please, here's where what happens. We get in our minds convicted here in, in verse 17 and 18, and then we start filing through all of those those correct assumptions. And I think then we go, okay, well, I guess I'm off the hook. Well, wait a second. Please, please don't lose sight of John's actual point, his main point. Verse 18, look, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue or excuses or other things, but indeed and in truth. Here's the main point, and please, please, if, if you forgot everything else, remember this. John is saying, look, don't just tell them you love them. Show them. Interesting in our economy that, that we've come to these words where I think we're going to need to rely more and more upon each other. John says, look, don't just tell them you love them. Show them that you love them. Now, again, if you're starting to feel beaten down this morning, I want to encourage you because I just want to brag on this church a little bit. I am so blessed to be a only phrase that comes to mind is I'm in the eye of the storm of church life, meaning for what? Because I guess being pastors, like I know a lot of things that maybe some of the rest of you don't. Um, I'm in the eye of the storm or in this economy, maybe we could say I'm in the center of the eddy. 
We're all going down together. Or we're going down. (laughs) And here's the encouraging part. Listen, guys, I see verse 18 happening all the time. I see it happening all the time in this church. Right here in our fellowship, people giving anonymously to others who they know are in need or suspect are in need. Those who are giving and they're not letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing. I have personally, my wife and I, my family have been the beneficiary of this kind of sacrificial love. And and I I know that some of you have been beneficiaries of that as well. Here's where I want to make the point, guys. If you have only been on the giving end, or let me just broaden that. If you have never been, I think I've messed up. If you've only been on the receiving end, but let's broaden it. If you've never been on the giving end, that's what this whole message is about. Do you hear that? To be on the giving end of the agape love in action. Because he says, look, let us not love in word or tongue only, but in deed. That's doing. That's action. But in deed and in truth. So what does that mean in your life? I don't know how it's going to look in your life. Some of you actually still have resources. There's a few. (laughs) Um, That you can give, that you can bless others who are in need. But maybe that's not you. Maybe it's truly all you can do to, to, to put food on your table, all of that stuff. You still have time that you could give to someone. For instance, babysitting for someone. A couple who... Maybe they, the last time they had a date night was a month, a year ago, whatever it might be. Helping clean a person's house. Visiting the sick. Making a meal. There's a little side note. I mentioned this last, last service and a lady came up and said, this so blessed me. Because, um, I, well, I should say, I, I'm going to challenge you again that uh, you should do this for those who maybe least deserve, deserve it, right? So this person said, you so blessed me because I felt like yesterday the Lord already told me to go to this couple and offer babysitting. But she says, now I'm afraid that they're going to think that um, they deserve at least. <laughs> but see, God is, is working and he's, he's telling us, and maybe sometimes our, our ears are hard of hearing. But what he's saying is, look, don't just say it. Do something. Put shoe leather on this agape love that I've given to you. And, and here it is. Here's that admonition. And if you really, really want extra credit, not really. If you really want to grow, because we believe application is the way that we grow further and further uh, into the image of Christ, right? If you really want to take a huge leap in your spiritual maturity this week, do that thing, that act of kindness for that person who looks, who deserves the, it the least. Again, you're looking at me. (laughs) It's going to be a good week for me. Listen, listen. If everyone in this room actually took this one verse, which happens to be your family memory verse, everyone of us actually took this verse and applied it once a day. You, You went and you said... Whether it's somebody that you barely know or somebody that you that you know maybe much too well. And you're thinking, well, they don't deserve it. 
if it, if even once a day, each one of us made a thing that we could point back to and say, that, that was my 1 John 3.18. If every single one of us did that for the next week or month, I absolutely guarantee you that this place would be packed. People would be like, I don't know what's going on over there, but something's going on because nobody treats people like that anymore these days. That would be amazing. They would say, look, I don't know what's going on in that church, but I've got to see it. And you'd say, look, I'm a follower of Christ, and, and this is what he's commanded me to do. And this is how I, this is how I know that I'm in the family of God. So love is an action. That's the main point. Next, and we're going to go a little quicker now, all of the benefits that happen when you actually do what we just said. When you actually say, you know what, I'm going to put love into practice. I'm going to make it an activity. Okay, love is an action. Next, A, here it comes. Love in action brings assurance. Verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. I went over this verse over and over again. Had to spend a lot of time. I have have something that I think is right. Listen to some other teachers. Verse 20. Interesting. There's a there's a very common uh, interpretation of it that I'm sh- not quite sure if I completely buy because it seems out of context. Um, but but we'll get there. Verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, that word is accuses. If our heart accuses us, perhaps even here this morning, you have a heart that accuses you. Maybe correctly. <laughs> but you have a heart where, like, you know how the, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. You ever feel like your heart is double-teaming you with the devil? Right? From the outside you get it. From the inside you get it. Every beat of your heart. Loser. Failure. Sinner. I think it happens to all of us at one time or another where you feel like you have that traitor within. Your conscience, and maybe you have been forgiven of this, but your, your conscience is not letting you off the hook, right? When, you have condemn, you have, when it comes to condemnation, you have not only the devil working on you, but you have this heart that is accusing you on the inside. The question is how to deal with it. Well, here's what I've heard most often as I've been listening to the passage. And it's true, but I don't think it's in context all that much. The standard take on verse 20 is usually this, um, and I think it's true, but it misses the point. It goes something like this. Look, if you have an overactive conscience, just believe God's word instead of your conscience because the heart is desperately wicked. Right? I don't know if any of the rest of you heard that interpreted that. It, that's true. It says, um, do this, the, the interpretation goes, because God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. It's kind of like they're saying... He knows all things and he knows that you're trying and uh, he forgives you. So trust in that word. Okay, I'm not saying that any of that is false, but I don't see how that fits in the context here at all. Because he's talking about doing, doing, doing. And then it seems like they're saying uh, when you come to this verse, just talk about trusting in God out of the blue and his and his promises, which, again, are not incorrect. But I don't see them in context. I think, and I hope you track with me, it's going to take a little bit more of your concentration. I think if we, if I'm correct about this, and I could be totally wrong, you guys are Bereans, it's your problem. 
But if I'm right, I think there could be real practical help for us here when it comes to this accusing heart of ours. I think that John is saying, look, the problem here is an accusing heart. Okay, we agree on that. But in context, listen, the prescription is not just standing on the promises of God, which that's a good thing. The context is not just, though, saying, hey, I'm terrible and I have no real hope of changing, but God loves me anyway. No, I think he's saying, look, if your heart accuses you, your heart is double teaming you with with the devil. If your heart is telling you things which are, look, God is perfect and you're far from it. How could you call yourself a child of God? Listen, I think there really is real help in verse 19. Look with me. Verse 19. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. He says by this, by what? Back up. Verse 18. By loving, not in word, not in tongue, but indeed in truth. You see what he's saying? I think he's saying, look, if you will really do this, if you'll really say, look, I am going to actively Love. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to lay down my rights. When you do that, the natural byproduct will be assurance that you are in the truth. And it says, and we shall assure our hearts before him. I get this, this picture of the Lord is with us all the time. And it's like our heart is that, uh, that uh, witness that we wish would shut up. Heart is going, yeah, he may say he loves you, but I don't believe him. You know, the, the heart that is, is accusing you before God. And I think what, what this is saying is, look, when you, when you carry out love in active ways that you can actually point to, you can put your finger on, then you can literally say to, to your heart before God as your witness, look, this week I, I love the brethren. I mean, I literally love them. I actively love them. So shut up, heart. That's what you can say. You you understand? Verse 19. And by this, we know that we are of the truth. By what? By loving actively. And we shall assure our hearts before him. That's really practical, helpful information. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. He saw you do that nice thing to that person. So God says, yep. See, there's assurance here. And I, I don't want any of us to miss it. Because, again, I, I know that over the last few weeks, sometimes it's like you come in, it's like, okay, we're going to get smacked up again today. But there's assurance here if you'll take it. Love the brethren. Now, please, please, this is one another disclaimer. If there are people here and there may be who do not know the Lord, you haven't given your life to him, you're not a believer, please understand this is not for you. What I mean is understand that this What we're not saying is that salvation comes by any other way but grace. Salvation is not something that you can earn. It's something that Jesus does for you, and you just receive it as a broken sinner. See, salvation does not come by doing good things for people. But listen, I think this is saying assurance just comes as a natural byproduct of loving the family of God in active ways. Again, something we always want to make sure that we make that distinction. And I'll I'll back that up also. Look at verse 16. Notice that it says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That word ought is ophelio. And it means to owe. So what he's saying is, as a reminder, we're not talking about earning your salvation. We're talking about doing stuff to 
because you owe him such a great debt. Right. To return love because he first loved us. See, we don't lay down our lives for the brethren to earn salvation. We lay down our lives because he laid down his life for us and we owe it to him for what he's already done. If that makes sense. Okay. But when we do love the brethren, we find assurance. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. I think it would be safe to say comes through blessing the brethren. It's not the only way, but it is it's a huge little secret that I feel like we found here in this, these verses. So agape love is active. And when it is active, it brings assurance. And here's the next thing. And that assurance brings brings us back into the abundant life. Don't raise your hand now, but I'll ask you to later. You feel like you kind of haven't lived that abundant life lately that Jesus promised. I think that he's given us the. The little key to, to get back to the abundant life. Agape love is active. It brings assurance and assurance brings forth the abundant life. And here's what the abundant life looks like. Looks like it's confidence before God. It's answered prayer. That is having an active prayer life that where you actually see, wow, God really is listening to me. And lastly, it's the it's this great father son or father daughter relationship. Look at verse 21. You'll see that the first uh, thing in this abundant life. Because this is just, as I look at it, this is what this describes abundant life. Uh, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. When you're really experiencing that life, that abiding in Him, that abundant life, one of the things that you experience is confidence, freedom of speech. That's what it literally means, freedom of speech. See, when you have this assurance that comes from... Uh, the fact that you are loving the brethren, when you have this assurance that you are really a child of God, it brings that freedom of speech. That is an unreserved speech where you can just say whatever comes to your mind. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's a big difference in that than what it is when you feel like you're, when your heart is accusing you. Let me give you an example. Okay, I've got to wake you guys up. Sorry, I'm trying. Here we go. An example. Easy illustration. If it's your first visit here or if if, if when people come uh, to visit Calvary Chapel, I can usually tell. I mean, besides the fact that I don't recognize their face, I can usually tell when they're new because they will be guarded with their words. I'll be very careful with what they say and how they say it. They, they kind of stumble over like they'll be like, uh, hey, it was a good uh, is it sermon or message or teaching. And then they'll say it was good to meet you, preacher or reverend. They really don't know me. <laughs> Preacher, reverend, father. Okay. But they're very careful because, you know, they just don't know me. And they, they want to be, don't want to offend me. But on the other hand, my boys, who are part of my family, they will come to me in the next few minutes right after that person says hello. They'll come up and run and say, Dad. Today we made a Daniel out of marshmallows and toothpicks. And afterwards we got to eat him. <laughs> Complete unreservedness of speech. Just say whatever's on their mind. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we had the, uh, the gospel through ice cream, right? Um, that was, you guys were like, oh, man, I missed that. Um, 
We were trying to give our teachers a break uh, from the disciple line curriculum uh, before we started a new quarter. And so Gain, uh, one of the guys on the leadership team of the children's ministry, said, hey, I want to do this thing, gospel through ice cream. And it was uh, was really well received. The kids had a lot of fun and stuff. Um, I asked my boy, Isaac, afterwards, hey, um, what did you learn today? He's like, nothing. <laughs> I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, Mr. Gain didn't want us to. <laughs> He's completely unreserved in his speech, right? Just because he's my kid, right? He just he just says it's here's what I'm trying to get at, this abundant life. And I hope I hope you've at least experienced it a part of your life. And I, I'd love it if you're experiencing it now. But if you're not, you can. Listen, it's a beautiful thing when you can have a conversation, think about it, with the God of the universe that is as intimate and unguarded as that. Or you can just say whatever's on your mind. Because he's your Abba Father. You have that assurance. He's your daddy. Don't raise your hand, but does anybody want to get back to that? Or are you just you're so confident in it all that you can just say whatever's on your mind. You don't have to be careful in the way you speak. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Another quality of the abundant or the abundant life is answered prayer. Verse 22 again. And whatever we ask, we receive of him. You're like, hey, wait a second. What's that? And that sounds interesting, enticing. Verse 22. Really? Whatever we ask. A Rolls Royce. A mansion in California. A different preacher? Look, it says whatever we ask, we receive from him. What does that mean? Well, but, but it says whatever. So why can't I ask for those things? Listen, we're going to see, and we've seen it over and over again. The abundant life is the abiding life. And that takes us back to John 15, where Jesus says, look, I'm the vine. You're the branches, right? I am the source of life, and you are the extension of that life into your world. Do you get it? So when we're just an extension of him, what do we ask for? The things that please him. So we're asking for the right things. So everything we ask for when we're abiding in him, we get because we ask for the right things. Does that make sense? That's when verse 22 really kicks in. Verse 21, let's back up. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. We can just ask for anything. And whatever we ask, <clears throat> we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. He just described the abiding life. Doing his commandments, pleasing him, being connected, clinging to him, right? Listen, the end of verse 22, he says, and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. There's nothing more joyful than that moment when you realize your, your father's proud of you. That's what he's saying, because we just do the things that make him happy, right? Wasn't that the mark of Jesus relationship with his father over and over again. It's like, my father tells me to do this. I do this. Whatever I see my father doing in heaven, I do it here. I'm just an extension of him. He's he's the vine and I'm the branch. Right. And he's basically saying to us, look, I'm the vine. And you're the branch. And it's pleasing to the father. Doesn't your heart just warm up when you when you hear the father say about Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Something awesome it's in the abundant life about pleasing your father. Look, my mom and my dad were divorced when I was four years old. But I can still testify to this. 
when you've pleased your father, there's something that's awesome about it. I was in a junior high basketball game, and I looked up. only time that this happened that I remember, and my dad is sitting in the stands. And I'm playing basketball, making him proud. And I can tell you, I mean, this was, was a few years back. I can still remember where he was sitting. About three rows from the, the back and about three quarters on the way over on the right. Something awesome about pleasing, being pleasing to the Father. See, having completely unguarded speech with the Father having that confidence in Him, having answered prayers because you're asking for the right things because you guys are locked in. And having that knowledge that you're pleasing to Him. We've just described the abundant life. That's the abundant life that Jesus came. He said, look, the, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Birthmark of the thief. But I have come that they might have life and that more abundant. So, are you living the abundant life? The spark that leads the whole thing into action that I'm seeing as I look at this text, it's like, this is awesome. Because when we love people actively, when we actively participate, when we put an action to this love, to me, this sparks this whole big machine of all of this cool stuff that's going to happen to us and for us and through us. Verse 23, and this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Basically, I don't want to take too much more of your time because we covered this in John chapter 15, not too long ago. Look, the abundant life at its simplest is the abiding life. What have we talked? What have we learned? Those of you who've been around for a while. Um, abiding, what's that word? It means to sink down into, right? To just relax, to, to uh, settle down into this. So the abundant life is abiding. And how you do that is just by keeping his command. Um, interesting, though, um, commandments, verse 24, um, and commandments, verse 22. But look at verse 23. Just commandment, singular that's the, what the Bible calls the royal law. You guys know, and I, I don't want to, again, belabor it, but Ten Commandments, uh, the, the Pharisees extended that to hundreds of commandments. Jesus narrows it down to two and really says it's just one. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That word believe, not just an intellectual assent. If you don't know him, you, you can come to know him today, not just by saying, okay, I believe that stuff. But the word believe actually means to cling to, to trust in, to put your trust in Jesus. His commandments, pretty simple. Trust in Jesus and love the other members of the family. That we should believe on his name of the son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides. There's that word. And he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. See, to, to, to wrap it all up. The first step in, in verse 23 is to just receive, right, to believe, to cling to Jesus. And then the second part is to love one another. So to, to wrap it up, active love brings about assurance 
that leads us back into the abundant life of abiding in him. And the spark, if you will, that cranks up the whole machine is to love one another, not in word or in tongue, not to just say, hey, love you, man. But indeed, and in truth, that's the spark that that can bring us back into that abiding, abundant life. I just want to close lastly with this, because it, it does parallel. And I think as you read it, you'll be amazed how amazingly this does parallel. This is the same author. And so often when you go through first John, it's really good to remember the, the gospel of John. John 15, verse nine. As the father loved me, Jesus says, I also have loved you. And that's true, right? He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. There's one of those themes from the first John. And listen to this, verse 12. This is my commandment, singular, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he closes. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we need to to be able to show that, Lord, as you've instructed us just now. You tell us, Lord, to love like you love and that we'll be fulfilling your command. And when we do. Lord, that we are fulfilling this royal law. Lord, we, we understand, at least I hope we do. That you're saying, Lord, that love is not necessarily an emotion, but it's always an action. He's always doing something that requires us laying our lives down. Laying our rights down, our privileges, the argument, whatever it is, Lord. Help us today. How wonderful it would be, Lord, if every single person who calls himself a believer in this church. Today, before the days through and all of this week. If we loved indeed. And in truth, and not just in word or in tongue. Help us, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.